It is so good to be here, and I'm so excited. And if anything we've learned over the last two years is we should never take for granted our ability to meet together. And I am just so overjoyed, and I am so excited for this season of our life. And this season, I mean the next three decades. I'm in this for a long time by God's strength, and I am so thrilled. I love you, church, so much. And uh, what a joy it is. What a joy it is. So if you have your Bibles, today I have sort of a sermon where it doubles as an announcement and a sermon. Depends on how you look at it. It may be an announcement. It may be a uh, a sermon. But we have so much to get through. And God is so, so uh, good. And uh, before we jump into our passage, would you meet me in uh, Luke chapter 18? Luke chapter 18. And let me just begin with a prayer. Luke 18, verse 1 through 8. Uh, But before we read, I will do some other uh, things. God, thank you so much for your blessing. Thank you that you have brought us together. Lord, this moment may be spiritual work. May you work in our hearts, convicting those who are stubborn, encouraging those who are fallen. But God, let you work mightily here today. We desperately need you. We don't need another sermon. We don't need another talk. We need your grace and your work to work powerfully in our hearts. We pray this and we believe it in your name. Amen. Hey, we're launching a seven-week series called Spiritual Disciplines. Spiritual Disciplines. And uh, we'll talk about in just a moment what this means, but basically, this is a set of things, practices, habits, activities that we do that are somewhat spiritual that help us grow to be like Christ. The seven R, and each week we'll take one, is prayer, Bible reading, evangelism, Serving, generosity, submission, and simplicity, seven. And we'll take every week, and the goal is that you and I in our lives would adopt these into our lives to see God transform us. And here's, I'm going to set the series up with the next five, ten minutes, and then we'll launch into prayer. Um, I don't know, but we've all lived with this picture and I'll put it on the screen right now, is this idea that like your action is the result of your heart. Your heart produces the action. What's in your heart will produce action. So if you are angry, you'll have outbursts. If you are uh, lacking self-control, your life will be uh, in disorder. Whatever is in your heart comes out. If there is lying in you, lying comes out. If there's hate in you, hate comes out. Whatever is in your heart comes out and produces fruit, and absolutely this is true. Amen? Yeah, whatever's in you will come out. But here's the truth, and this is where often we stop. And despair kicks in. We stop and we feel defeated. What do we do about this? What do we do about 
If I'm not happy, if my heart is restless, I'm not happy, I don't have joy, I'm not happy, I have hate, I'm not happy, I'm always moving, I'm not happy, I don't have self-control, and we just sort of stop there because we just live with this picture and we resign that whatever I am, I am. But reality is, and this is so important for you, is that reality is a little different. Now, this is absolutely true that heart produces action. But think of it more like a cycle. Think of it as, yes, your heart produces what you do, but what you do ultimately goes back and shapes who you are. If you wake up in the morning, you hit the snooze button three times, come on, smile at me, and you wake up that very last minute, and you got a Speed to work, speed to your appointment, but in the speeding, you have to take a shower and get dressed and eat your breakfast and prepare your lunch and at the same time have time to check social media, but of course not the Bible or prayer, and you're bolting and you're always running, running, running. No wonder that maybe that day, two things will happen. Number one, you'll have far more anger. And number two, you'll far be likelier to maybe give in to your anger. Why? Action shapes us. Now, if you feed yourself with constant entertainment, and let's, listen, I don't want to, I mean, let's just say some controversial things, but there's a whole lot of filth out there. And if all you ever take in is just lies of the devil, lust, and things you shouldn't be watching, no wonder that that produces a heart that is not interested in godly things. See, I have heard once it said that we consume what we crave. But the reality is, is we crave what we consume. You feed yourself on the word of God and your heart longs for more of God. Isn't that true? You feed yourself on prayer and you're constantly in the presence of God. I promise you one thing is bound to happen. You will not be satisfied with God. You'll just want more of him. So here's the question I'm asking, Mercy. I'm so thrilled. I'm so excited. I'm almost shaking. Is over the next seven weeks, what if we adopted as a set of actions our disciplines? What if we adopted, adopted prayer and Bible reading and serving, and evangelism, and generosity, and learning to submit, and learning simplicity, what would that do to our heart? I imagine what this is, is us bringing ourselves to God and saying, God, work on me. Work on my heart. God, work on my bitterness. Work on my inability to forgive. Work on my selfishness. Work on my laziness. Work on my worrying about and being in bondage to other people's approval. This is it. By doing these things as a set of practices, as a set of disciplines, working it into our lives, we're praying that God shape us. Now, I, I want to do one more little thing. I want you to know that there's nothing automatic about these habits. And very importantly that we realize that these habits cannot produce spiritual birth. 
Christianity starts with a heart transplant called new birth. And you cannot spiritual discipline yourself into life with God. And today the question I want to ask and for you maybe is, are you born again? Are you born again? And if you don't know that question, if you don't know that answer, I want to tell you, make that the most immediate concern in your life and go today home and get on your knees and I promise you that what you ought to do and the best thing you can do is run to Jesus and when you put your faith in him and you submit under his lordship and you repent of your sins, God will renew you and he'll make you born again. He'll give you new life and adoption to the family. So I just want you to be careful that we're not just here talking about do this, do this, do this, do this. This is for the born-again Christian as we learn to become more and more like Jesus. Amen? All right, seven disciplines, seven weeks, and uh, all in reliance to God. So reading Luke chapter 18, today's sermon is on prayer prayer, and we're going to do three things. We're going to look at why we should pray, the types of prayer we find in the Bible, and the third one is what's that next step for each and every one of us in our prayer life. Luke 18, verse 1 through 8 says, Jesus said this, I love Jesus, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus taught on prayer a lot, and he modeled it also with his life. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For for a while, he refused, but afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect? That's God's people. That's you and me. It's everybody who's professed their faith in Christ. You are God's elect who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long, long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? In discussion with prayer, I almost feel like I kind of know what all of us are feeling. It's, I got to pray more. I'm not praying enough. And of course, I got to pray enough. And what is this guy going to tell me today? Of course, we're just gonna go, we should just wrap up this service. And what I don't want today to happen is for you to feel a whole lot of guilt and be inspired with a whole lot of duty to just go out there and pray, 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 pray. Come on, let's go pray, guys. Let's pray. You've got to be praying. We, you already know this. You already know this. And it's not really working for us. What I want to do today as a big portion of my sermon on prayer is to look at 
and provide you a good reason to pray. A good why. When we're talking about prayer, it is absolutely critical. It is life and death, really, for your prayer life not to have a good reason to pray. If you ever looked at exercise, people who are exercising, and they're like just killing it. I don't know if you're one of those people. I am not. Like you're driving, and they're like running at 5 a.m., and it's raining, and they're just like just enjoying themselves. You're like, what in the world is wrong with these people? And you're just driving. Now listen, I'll tell you what. It's not like they feel like it. I promise you they would, be lo- they would rather be sleeping. Why are they running? They have a really good reason. Maybe they're training for a marathon, or maybe they're trying to be healthy for their children. It, I don't know what it is. But one of the biggest faults of our lives is when we come to prayer, we're without a conviction. We are without truth as to who God is and our relationship with him and, our, and, what we, and, and the fact that we can access the throne room of God and the fact that God works this way, that God hears our prayers. So I want to give you today reason or reasons why you should pray, why you should pray. Jesus, when this parable begins, he says, and he told him a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Jesus is laying a case of reasons why you you and I should pray. At the foundation of our prayer life, these should be our reasons. And what he does here is he's not telling us that God is like the judge. He's here telling us that God is so unlike the judge. And if the judge, at some point in his life, for selfish reasons, because he didn't want to be bothered, stooped down to help this widow, a God who is infinitely better than this judge will care for you and hear you out. And I want to show you seven ways that God is not like this judge, that our relationship to God is not like this widow's relationship to God. To, yeah, our relationship is not to God the way this widow's relationship is to this judge as a reason for why you and I should learn to pray and pray consistently and daily and make it a practice. The first reason, the first difference between this story, between the judge and the widow, and our story between ourselves as children of God and our God, Heavenly Father, is this. Number one, she, the widow, came on her own. You and I get to come in Jesus' name. All right? This widow... As she comes to this judge, she has nobody. She's got no one. She comes in her own name. And in fact, she's a widow, so she at that point would have no legal standing. You and I get to come in Jesus' name. What does it mean when we pray in the name of Jesus? Have you ever prayed for a blessing? You're like, in the name of Jesus, amen. And we make that so manual, so automatic. What does that mean? 
Well, it means three quick things. They're so powerful. Number one, when we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying, I'm praying, God, for this. I'm asking for this in complete submission to your will. God, bless me or help, my, help me find a spouse. God, help me buy a home. God, help me get a job. God, help me have a child. God, help me in Jesus' name. God, I, this is according to what I believe is your will. And if your will says no, I'm submitted to your will. The second thing when we say in Jesus' name, and this is so important, is that we're coming to you, God, through Jesus. Not on our own merits. If you ever feel like, boy, I messed up. Well, God's not going to hear me. Man, I sinned. Well, God's not going to hear me. Look at you. What are you saying? You get to come through Jesus. And in that, you are fully accepted. In that, you get to have the ear of God. Jesus, man, Jesus, listen, if you ever feel like, man, my praise just is stinks. I'm not really feeling it. Can I tell you something powerful? You know, Jesus beautifies your praise. Long time ago when I used to give flowers for Albina. <laughs> Just teasing you. I used to go to this um, store, QFC or whatever, and uh, you buy these flowers and they're all like kind of messy. And then you give it to this worker at the front and they like unwrap it. They like pluck the leaves and, and then they like rewrap it and then like give it to me. And it looks so good. And uh, that's a great picture for how your prayer starts off here on earth as that ugly bouquet of flowers. But by the time it reaches God, because it goes through the sanctifying, the complete finished work of Jesus on the cross, it is fully purified. And when we pray in Jesus' name, we're also praying for his name. Lord, I am asking for this. It is under you. It is through you. And it is for you. And we get to do that every time we pray. We get to come to the throne room and ask God and praise his name through Jesus every time. The second difference between, oh man, like that's a good reason to pray. You know, there's a, I didn't plan to say this, but I have to now. There's a good debate out there, a discussion, whether God hears the prayers of unbelievers. The evidence of the Bible seems to suggest and point to a no. The only prayer God accepts of unbelievers is the prayer of repentance. Because to access God's presence is only possible through the finished work of Jesus. Now, don't look at me stunned. Look at me with celebration. Because God hears your prayers. Because they come through Christ. They're prayed through Christ. They're authorized. They're legitimate. They're legal. You have a right to be in the presence of God because of Jesus. Without Christ, we don't have a relationship with God on good terms. 
Number two, she came as a stranger to an unjust judge. We come as sons and daughters to a righteous father. Jesus has won over for us a relationship of intimacy with God the Father. We don't come as strangers. We don't come nameless. We don't come at a distance. We come as children of God. I've said it once, and I want to say it one more time. Timothy Keller said that the only person who can wake up a king at 2 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. That's your access. That's your relationship to God the Father. The third reason is the widow's need was an annoyance. Our need is God's delight. God loves to give gifts to his children. God loves to bless his children. God loves to meet us where we're at. I don't know if you've ever felt like, boy, am I annoying God with this? Or is this a really a thing I should pray for? Maybe I should just handle it on my own. God is never annoyed. That's not God at all. He delights just as a loving parent, mom or dad, delights in blessing their children. God loves to hear your needs. He loves to hear your needs. And what's amazing for us, he also loves to bless them. Now, this judge, (laughs) he was so annoyed with this widow. She drove him mad. And yet we come to God with our need, and it's God's delight. God, can you imagine? God commands you to come and ask. Number four, this widow had a delay. Her delay was a result of neglect. But whenever you and I are experiencing delay, it is rooted in God's goodness. Whenever you ask God for something, and it seems like God is taking his time, it seems like God is delaying the answer I want you to remind yourself of this passage because this delay that the widow experienced was absolutely the neglect of this unjust judge who wasn't doing his thing. He wasn't doing his administrative work. Whenever you're experiencing delay, just know God is absolutely up to something. It's rooted in some wisdom of God. (laughs) God has the best good for you planned, okay? God has the greatest glory to his name planned. He's doing something, and boy, should we trust God in that. When we pray, God, what do you you think happens when we pray? Just think for a moment. You, You ask God for a legitimate need in your life. What do you think happens? I'll tell you one thing that doesn't happen. God doesn't ignore it. God doesn't brush it away. God doesn't forget about it. In fact, one thing I love to say is that when we ask, we are due for the best answer every time. 
When we ask God, we are due for the best answer. The best answer may not be the answer I'm looking for, but it is an answer that magnifies and glorifies him, and it is an answer that is the highest good for me, even though in the moment I may not see it. Number five. She had no assurance of an answer. We have a promise that God will answer. I mean, this widow absolutely had no clue whether this judge was going to help her. You and I have a promise. And listen, God does not lie. God is always true. God is always faithful. And if God says, I will hear you, I will answer you, it will happen. It will happen. We have a promise that God will answer. One of the things that I have found out in my life is sometimes we ask God, but we never stick around for the answer. We just sort of move on. When I was a kid, one of my favorite games was Ding Dong Ditch. You know what I'm talking about, guys? I don't know. Basically, it's a game where a young kid runs to some door, knocks on the door, runs away, hides, and then like looks to see the homeowner or someone open the door, look, and close the door. And to a child, that is just so awesome. Like, I don't, I mean, listen, I have no clue if we have hope for children if they think like this. Like, what's so fun about that? But man, I wonder how often we pray like that. We run up, we ask God for a need, and we just move on. We never stop to think and reflect, did God actually answer? So we knock, God opens the door, but we're, we've booked it. We've booked it. We've, we've, we're we're on to something new and something else and a, a new need. And we're just moving on and along and along. And let's think about for a moment how many testimonies are lost because of that. God answered, but you weren't even there to reflect on it and give a thanks to him. One more thing about this. Be as specific as you can in your prayers. Don't just be so generic where you just pray like, God bless the nation of the United States. You could, and you should pray for that. But like, get specific. Wrestle with some things. When you pray for your children, ask for specific needs. Because specific needs allow us to see not that God, whether God has answered, but how God has answered. When we're specific with a need, God, we will hear God's answer. So we have a promise that God answers. Number six, the judge wanted this widow to keep her distance. God wants us to approach his throne boldly. Number seven, I have to go. She was alone. She was alone. We have the Holy Spirit as a helper. Jesus as an intercessor and the church as a family to help plead our cause. She was absolutely, not only did she come in her own name, she was alone with no one to help her. You have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit helps you pray. You also have Jesus who's seated at the right hand of God who is interceding. Now, what this means is that Jesus is, Jesus is not done working. 
Right now in heaven, Jesus is applying all that he's won on the cross to your life on your behalf. When you come with a repentance, when you come with a fall, when you come with something, God, Jesus is there to say, that's forgiven, that's paid for. And we also have each other to pray. You know, when we do prayers at these exits during worship at the end of service, if you ever have a need, come up and be prayed for. That's what we're here for. Before service starts at 9.15, we have pre-service prayer. Come and pray with me. Pray, pray, pray. You have each other. Seven reasons right there. And they really boil down to three, or two actually. Here's why you should pray, okay? Because God is really, really good. Here's number two, the second reason why you should pray. Because our relationship with God is closer and more intimate than you and I could ever imagine. Here's why you should pray. God is really, really good. He's good to you. And your relationship with God is far better and closer and more intimate and loving than you can imagine. Right now, this is true. Listen, the more I think about this, I think Christianity is just nothing but, well, excuse me. Christianity, the practical life of the Christian, is really just logic playing itself out. Right? If eternity is real, and it is, boy, what does that mean for my daily life as I'm so afraid to sacrifice? I think I could give up a little more. If God is real and he loves me, what does that mean logically playing that out in my life as I am fearful or in distress? The reason why I believe that at the core of our prayer life, we need this foundation of God's goodness and your conviction needs to be through the roof that God is so, so good. And that through Jesus and no one else and nothing else, and that's always the story, I have a relationship with this God that's closer, that's more intimate, that's more loving than I can even fathom. And when I have those convictions and those truths and I start to pray, boy, my prayer life starts to look different. Third reason, real quick, in here why we should pray, not only is God really, really good and our relationship is really, really good with him, but also because need, that we have real needs. Just like she came with her case of injustice, There's brokenness all over. There's a devil. If you're a parent who's coming after your children, there's a roaring lion, Satan, devil, who wants to break your marriage apart. There's an enemy in the world that is seeking to make you unproductive believing all the lies of the enemy, calling it quits as a Christian. There's stress and anxiety in our hearts. 
There's depression in our hearts. I'm talking about corporately. The need is great. So what happens? Well, at the convic- when I understand the gravity of the need, I understand God's absolute goodness. I recognize my absolute relationship with him and my need. I want to say we begin to pray. Sometimes the reasons for prayer are bad reasons. Sometimes the reason we pray is because of performance. I'm trying to earn God's blessing, so I'm going to pray. It's somehow usually in this thinking we believe we're doing God a favor when we pray, you know? Like, I, I, I understand we mean well when we say, hey, are you spending quality time with God? Now, what I don't like is when we mean by that that God is like lonely. And here we are praying, giving God company. And God is now so happy that we pray to him. No, the privilege is ours, not God's. We're praying not to earn God's blessings, but to really, because we already are blessed. We also could be praying because we think that by prayer we can manipulate God. I can get him to listen to me. I need to get him to wake up and hear my cry. Or we could pray out of sense of duty. I just got to pray. That's what religious people do. That's what Christians do, don't they? They pray, okay, I just got to pray. No questions asked, nothing more to it. I'm just going to pray. Or maybe there's a reason to pray, which is, I'm going to pray, and I know somebody here has thought this, because I have thought this too before. I'm going to pray just to be safe. You know what I mean? Just to be safe. I have an airplane trip. I have a job interview. I've got a sickness. I don't really believe in God. But just in case he's there, just in case he's out there, let me just be safe and pray. That is not a prayer of faith. That is a prayer of unbelief. And that's a perversion of our relationship with God into a relationship of luck. So instead of manipulation, instead of performance, instead of duty, Instead of just to be safe, what if we were motivated by this relationship that we have with God who loves us so much, who cares for us so much, who hears our needs, who's done everything we have? Like that's our reality. Prayer begins with a good reason. Good reason to pray. May you this year, if you want to make this a year of prayer, lean in further and further, deeper and deeper into the goodness of God and the relationship you have through Christ. And God will bless you. Amen. Now I'm going to rush. The second part of prayer is I want to give you quickly the types of prayer we find in the Bible. And this is so important because is there anyone here when you prayed and you're like, man, I don't know what to pray after 15 seconds. Nobody? A minute? Two minutes? Somebody raised their hand. I have nothing to pray for. Like we get up and like 30, like 10 minute prayers freak me out. Like what are we going to pray for? Now, I want us to be balanced in our prayer and in scripture, 
I'm going to show you seven quick prayers. And then we're going to practice these prayers this week, and I'll show you how. Number one, the first prayer we find in the Bible is the prayer of adoration. This is a prayer where you're just praising God for who he is. And don't be afraid to just let it all out. Remember, you may not feel like it, but what you're saying is absolutely true. You cannot exaggerate God's goodness. And you're declaring the goodness of God, the holiness of God, the power of God, his mightiness, his wisdom. You are declaring, declaring, declaring. You are praising. You are ascribing praise to his name. And some of you need to learn how to do that. You don't do that. You don't adore God. And of course, you might say, I don't feel like it. But again, it's true. That's who God is. The second prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving. It's when we start to thank God for the things in our lives. The difference between adoration and thanksgiving is adoration praises God for who he is. Thanksgiving thanks God for what he has done. And that's a prayer in our lives. And I want you, again, get specific in your prayers. When I pray for my three, almost four children, boys, and this is just a practice of mine that I'm letting in on. I'm not bragging. I love to get specific. Like, God, thank you so much. I know my children's specific characteristics. That's God's gift to me. So I just pray over that. The third prayer is a prayer of confession. This is where we come to God and we acknowledge our sins. We acknowledge where we have fallen short. We acknowledge that we've looked at things we shouldn't have. We've acknowledged that we call people names we shouldn't have. We acknowledge that we're dealing with bitterness in our hearts against people that we're not letting go of. It's a prayer of confession. Fourth is a prayer of petition. This is where we ask God for things. This is where we plead with God on behalf, on our hearts, for our hearts. Now, these four right here, if you replace petition with a synonym called supplication, you get the acronym ACTS. It's just a really cool way to remember as you're praying. Adoration, that's A, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, which means to petition, to ask, to request. But prayer number five is intercessory, intercession. It's when we pray on the behalf of other people. It's beautiful. It works. It's helpful. It's what we need. Prayer number six is the prayer of consecration. And here, this is where we're saying, God, this is yours. God, I haven't lived my life fully submitted to you. God, this part of my life is yours. A lot of worship songs seem to go in this direction where it's a consecration prayer. You know, like everything and nothing else I give you. Like, I'm going to give you everything. Jesus prays this in the garden. He says, not my will, but your will be done. He's giving up his will for God's will. What area in your life have you not relinquished your will for God's will? 
And there's a prayer that needs to be made possibly right today in your life where you say, God, my finances, although I'm not in debt, have not been submitted to you. I'm giving up my will for your will. And it's a prayer. It's not a Thanksgiving prayer. It's not necessarily an adoration prayer. It's not a petition prayer. It's a consecration. I'm taking something in my life and I am declaring, I'm planting a flag that says yours. Consecration prayers. And number seven, we won't be doing this prayer. <laughs> I'm smiling because there's a lot to explain about it, but it's a prayer we'd see in Psalms. It's called imprecatory. I believe I should, have, I should know how to pronounce that. And it's a prayer where the psalmist is calling down the justice of God against his enemies. At this moment... <laughs> At this moment, we shouldn't be laughing. It's, it's in the Bible, and it's true. And I think that we have sometimes felt this. When we look at all the abuse and sexual exploitation and poverty and racism and slavery that's in the past, there's a part of us that wants to say, God, where is your justice? Come now. And I believe there's a place for that. I would want to say that Jesus calls us to pray for our enemies. But there is a hunger for justice. There's a hunger for justice in our nation. There's a hunger for justice in our communities. And that's something we can pray for as well. So this week is a week of prayer and fast. And uh, we create a little booklet for you. There are limited copies, so take this one if you really, really need it. Otherwise, the information is on Instagram or our website, Mercy Church NW, and you can grab this booklet from the info table today, but it walks you through, well, it tells you a little bit our fast, and I don't have time to do that, and then it walks you through each day as we pray one of these prayers, and so this is my announcement about our fast. We're starting tomorrow our fast, whatever it is that you're giving up, but make sure it costs you something, okay? If you eat like once a day... Don't be intermittent fasting. Give up something else. If you don't have social media, don't be fasting social media. You don't have social media. But whatever your fast is, but every day we're taking as a focal point a prayer. So Monday is the day of adoration. Tuesday is a day of thanksgiving. And what we mean by that is on Tuesday, we're also going to meet at 7 o'clock at RCC. And we're going to, as a church, pray together. I encourage you to show up. I would love to see every single one of you who can come be there as we pray in a week of prayer. Then every day, there's also a little uh, challenge for you and a, waste, uh, a place to respond. And then on Saturday, as we've been in a week of prayer and fast, we're going to also have a worship night at 6 p.m., that same building, and we'll meet back here again on Sunday. This is a great time. Listen, if your spiritual walk with God has cooled, if it's non-existent, make this the week you wake up. Make this be the week that you draw closer to God. Give up something costly. Take each day to focus on God and pray. Free up your schedule. As a church, we're having no meetings whatsoever. We're taking the time to bring ourselves and draw closer to God. I know people are giving up social media. Some people are giving up full, fully their food, just going to be drinking water. Whatever it is, fast. In that fast, let's learn to pray along these ways. Amen?
Lastly, is, um, so we talked about the foundation of prayer. We talked about different kinds of prayer. And this is really good as you're praying to just go over these categories. The lastly, I'll say, is what you can do next. And I want to show you quickly that there's really two areas of improvement in terms of our prayer life that we can all make. On the one hand is scheduled prayer. Some of us have no devotional time in our lives. This is putting aside in the morning 15 minutes to pray. Some of you should take a step in that direction. Schedule in your prayer. Schedule in, structure the prayer into the fabric of your life. Don't wake up with social media. Don't go to sleep with social media. Go to sleep with God. I promise you, your heart will be more peaceful and it will be more wholesome for you. But also, if you do have a devotional life, maybe the next step for you is to do unscripted prayers. What we mean by this is a need shows up in your life. What's the first thing you do? I'll tell you what I'm tempted to do. If there's a problem in my life, the first thing I want to do is Google and then YouTube and then ask around and then think and then somewhere I start thinking, oh, maybe I should be praying about this too. What if the first thing that happens when we have a need that arises, I'm running to God. It's unscripted, but it's an instinctual. Or what about when something amazing happens? And instead of just celebrating with my pals, I'm also celebrating with God and thanking him and leaping for joy. Or maybe you will be nudged to pray for someone. You're driving in a car. I had a, I think a brother Yuri shared with this. He's driving in a car and he gets this burden to pray for someone. Never dismiss a nudge to pray for someone. That means God is doing something. The Holy Spirit is pushing you somewhere. It's nudging you to start interceding on somebody's behalf. But this is where the prayer life becomes our life. I have it scheduled. Every morning, I'm waking up, I'm reading scripture, I'm praying, but also, instinctually, I'm praying. A need, up to God. A surprise, pleasant surprise, celebrating with God. A nudge to pray, I'm not dismissing that, I'm gonna pray it. And I'm gonna text people, I'm like, hey, I prayed for you. Amen? I'll be bringing us to a close. Thank you so much for listening. And um, my prayer for our church is that wherever you are, you would not leave this place guilty, but you wouldn't leave this place also dismissing everything we talked. But that you would take an, another step in your prayer life, whatever it is. Make this week a special week. And let's kickstart our life with God if it's gotten cold. Would you stand up with me and I'll pray.